Trigger warning. This podcast discusses themes centered around emotional, physical, and sexual violence. While the stories of the survivors are meant to be inspiring and informative, listener discretion is advised. If you are struggling with any of the aforementioned issues, links to resources can be found in the show notes of today's episode. I think that the best I can hope for is to teach people these things that are happening in this relationship that you're being wrongfully accused for of, the, the lack of empathy, the invalidation, none of this is your fault. They would have done this to anybody. You had the bad luck of being in the seat. Hi, Survivors. I'm Tara Newell. And I'm Collier Landry. And this is the Survivor Squad Podcast. Woo, another episode down. Another so call episode year. down. Yes, another episode down. But yes. Now, we had a special event this week, didn't we? Oh, yes. It was my birthday. Oh, I was going to say 4th of July. Oh. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I don't Just know what kidding. you're talking about. <laughs> no, it was Tara's birthday. And as a, as a very special birthday, you wanted to have an episode that didn't feature a survivor. It features someone who's giving some really great analysis of a survivor. Yes, because I think as a survivor, it's also important to know who you're up against in that sense. Know thine enemy, right? Yes. So it's great to learn about narcissist. Our guest is Dr. Romani. Yes, I'm so excited. I love her so much. Yeah. And we've just connected over so many things. You know, for those of you that don't know, so Tara and I were both interviewed on her podcast last year, Navigating Narcissism, which is on Red Table Talk and the iHeart Radio Network. But uh, we were really excited to have her on because she's just, you know, she has a massive YouTube presence. And I've, you know, I've known about her. I started watching her, her videos during the pandemic on YouTube. And it was so cool. And then I, and then I would hear other people talking about her. And uh, a fan of the show who you got to meet, Tara, last year is, um, she is the mother of my second cousin, which her name is Maureen Vita, and she is an EMDR therapist. Yes. And she was so excited that we were interviewing Dr. Romani. Yes, yes. I love Maureen. So Tara, today is a special day. Yes. So it's 3rd of July was your birthday. 4th of July is the birthday of America. And today is the rebirth of what? Oh my gosh, the cookie dough donut at sidecar donuts and i don't know if you come down to california you have to have a sidecar donut this is not an ad at all this is just i haven't had this donut in years because it was a seasonal flavor they kept it around for a while and then they took it away and then a lot of us lost our minds actually and then we're like we need the sidecar the cookie dough donut back, please. And it came back today after years of being gone. For years, you've been deprived of a cookie dough donut. Well, maybe like two years. That's that's a long time to be deprived of a cookie. I mean, it sounds like an absolute like calorie bomb. It but is. it's your birthday week, so right? Yeah, so I'm happy they brought it back this week. It's a birthday present to myself. And now I got to go get my Postmates because I Postmated it. Well, while you go get your sidecar donut, we're going to get into this episode with Dr. Romney. What do you think? Dr. Romney, take it away.
I'd say it's a far better use to say someone's a narcissistic person, reflecting the idea that you're describing their personality. Wow. Okay. That's great. So my, my next question was going to be, because a lot of people are arguing, do you think that the term narcissist is way overused mm -hmm. and way over-exaggerated in society? And now everybody's a narcissist, whether you establish a healthy boundary, as you were saying, which I loved how you said that, if you establish a boundary with someone, they go, oh, you're a narcissist. Right. So I think that the word is absolutely overused. I mean, to such a degree. And it's a, um, and I think that a lot of the pushback I get is like people saying, you're overusing. I'm like, How? I mean, I'm using it in the specific context of saying, you're going to have to do your due diligence to assume, to figure out if this person's narcissistic. Listen, I get people all the time say, my husband cheated on me. He's a narcissist. I said, maybe he is, but him cheating on you is not icing that for me. I'd need to know a lot more than that. They'd say, my brother stole something from my room. He's a narcissist maybe he is tell me a little bit more right and so you set a boundary you might say listen I am not doing this I cannot do this I will not do this or you cannot do this with me oh my gosh you're, you're a narcissist no you set a boundary you may not like that so I think people are overusing this word all the time and they weaponize it and they weaponize it, right. So narcissism is a personality style. Any personality style has to be how this person is almost all of the time. As an example, I've said this over and over again, I have a very agreeable personality. I'm not even saying it's doing me any favors, to be honest with you. Agreeable sounds like a nice word, but the problem is sometimes I won't get into conflicts, even if it means I might save some money or be able to advocate for myself. I am over empathic, so I waste a lot of time talking to people when I have so many other things to do and that person wouldn't turn around and help me. I am um, so humble that I actually get passed over for opportunities when actually I would be much better than the person they chose because I didn't advocate for myself. All of that relates to my agreeableness. So I'm not walking around saying I'm just a big friendly puppy. I'm sometimes I'm doing myself, I'm not doing myself any favors. I can tell you this right now because the opposite or I should say the counterweight to agreeableness is disagreeableness. And the other word for disagreeableness is antagonism and antagonism, narcissism. And so that's the flip on this. So if somebody said to me, if we go to a narcissistic person, you need to be more agreeable. It's like telling me, hey, Romani, you need to be more entitled and you need to be more arrogant and you need to have less empathy and you need to become more grandiose and you need to scream and shout at people. That's not happening. I couldn't do it. It would make me feel sick. Yeah. Wow. Wow. That is so, I, <laughs> I never thought about that. That's what I'm saying. It's like this already, like, how, can you, how can you say somebody can't change? You can't. People out there who are like, no, no, no. I'm a person who, I give you another better example, extroversion, okay? Extroverted people, they were so harmed by the pandemic. I watched it happen. Extroverted people were becoming depressed. They were, they were some of them coping in ways that were really maladaptive or taking risks to be with other people. And it took a toll on the health of extroverted people. But I'll tell you, the introverted people were having their day in the sun. And that was my, me. I am an incredibly <laughs> introverted person. So this idea of not having to go out, not having to commute, not having to go to the store, not having to get to gatherings, not having to go to an office, 
it, it was the best thing that had happened to my mental health in a very long time, if ever. I felt horribly guilty about it because so many people were being harmed by the pandemic. But I learned something I knew always to be true, but I wasn't going to be able to tell my employer, hey, by the way, I think I'd do better remote. Remote didn't exist in my job. Now, and, and now I was able to recreate a world for myself. But for extrovert, you telling an introverted person, if you told me, the introvert, said, hey, Romney, we need you to go out to these big social events four nights a week. I actually think I'd die of exhaustion after the second week. I, I, one social event will put me back two weeks. Oh, I feel that. I'm never going to be a social butterfly. I'm fine. I'm never going to be a social person. I have to, I don't know about you. I have to take a day to recover yeah. after yeah, an event because I'm mm -hmm. like, energies, so mm -hmm. much energies. Mm -hmm. And then I'm sure a lot of people come up to you and are asking you, am I with a narcissist? <laughs> they, and I think that's the other thing too, is that people do feel like, oh, hey, can my sister call you? And I'm thinking like, I have 16 free minutes a day. <laughs> and of the long list of things I want to do, is, no, I don't want to talk about this again. I want to play a game on my phone. I want to play with my cat. I want to watch a silly TV show and read a book. You know, I mean, that's what I, I have to be frank with you. That does happen. And I get it. I know people are in pain. But somebody who's not naturally extroverted, that's not going to be a draw. And you need that recovery time. And so when we're pushing a person to say, you need to be more empathic, I would say, turn around to other people and say, could you be less empathic? And, you know, the answer for a lot of people is like, mm, I, I, I don't think I could. I could for a minute, like maybe, maybe, maybe I could get my entitlement on and be a little bit of a like, can I speak to the manager? I think I did that like a week and a half ago about something. And I was like, oh, my God, right now I need to go to entitlement jail. And I immediately emailed, I'm so sorry I did that. I needed this piece of paper, but I had no reason to lash out at you like that. So that's not narcissism. If you do something entitled, but 60 seconds later, you're crying and emailing the person like, I'm the worst person who ever lived. I shouldn't have done that. I am so sorry. I'm not even going to give you context because that's not me being accountable. That's not narcissism. <laughs> I had to get angry with somebody at customer service today, though. I was like, I'm just going to can't, I'm going to go to American Express and cancel this then if you're not going to do your job. Because mm -hmm. you yeah. think it gave me, they didn't deliver what they, they, they right. the box is empty. Right. <laughs> Right. And so my point, though, is that when we look at some of these other personality styles, what narcissistic people are actually almost too good at advocating for themselves, but to the detriment of others, right? The, the sweet spot is not to be a doormat like I am and not to be the person who's like, I'm going to get mine and I don't care about you. Yeah. The sweet spot is to be able to advocate for yourself, get what is fair to you, but not destroy other people or take yours and nobody else gets theirs. It's a tough, it's a tough line, especially in a capitalist society yeah it is yeah it's interesting you 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 know talk about weaponization and you know both tara and i go through this a lot as you know as empaths and as people that people come to much like yourself how do you set those healthy boundaries of like look i can't for my 16 minutes a day i can't talk to you about this like how how do you navigate that because it's easier said than done i feel like it is easier said than done and i think it is about choosing it's about choosing your battles. It's also about knowing, like knowing, for example, can you set yourself a limit for the day? Like I'm gonna let myself do this 15 minutes a day. And once I route my 15 minutes, I'm not doing this again today. So if you make a, I don't know, set up a Zoom with someone on my one Zoom time is gone or it might be three times a week, however many times you think you could have a passing conversation with someone. 
once you've done it for that day, you're done. And you can find a respectful way to say, oh my goodness, I cannot wait to hear more about this. I do need to go. You know, I've, I've had a lot of other things I, I need to manage today, but I do want to hear more. Is it possible someone could get hurt in that? Sure. But if you're no longer, if you're not able to even cope or be in the world, like just you're struggling, then they're not ever going to get you. Someone's always going to be a little disappointed. And I think for people who are deeply empathic, that's a hard load that's a really hard burden to, to carry. And so I think that's people like you, you probably get tons of emails and I bet there was a moment in time you tried to answer every single one of them. Yep. You will break yourselves if you try yeah. to do that. And so I, and you can use your podcast to say, hey, these are five great questions. You can use your platforms to answer that. But I mean, in some ways, guess what? Every text doesn't need to be answered right away. And you have public voices. So when you've 10 people have asked you X or Y, say, hey, you know what? We keep getting this question. We'd like to do an episode on this. Use your platform as a way to be the empathic people you are, but still be able to set that boundary. Yeah. Now this has turned into like a life advice, like let Dr. Romney <laughs> give you life advice, Collier and Tara. This is great. I like that you said the thing about text messages because so many people will give other people crap for this. Yes, they will. I look at, I look at my phone, I have 300 unread messages. And I have, that will I'm give... having anxiety. It's just thinking. That. <laughs> That's what I tell her. I tell her the same thing. It gives me anxiety. I look at her phone. I see 300 texts. I'm like, how? Just I, I would just clear it, just because I don't even know who that. But here's the thing, Tara. I think you are the two of you are too young to know about a different era. Okay, there was a time in this world where you dialed a phone. There was no answering machine. So if you weren't home there was no way for someone to find you. And I grew up in that time. When answering machines came around, I was in high, high school, towards the end of high school, and we're like, whoa, we could know that somebody called us. And then text messaging didn't come on long until I had both my kids. And I, in fact, for two years, I didn't know what it was. I'd had a cell phone. There were hundreds of text messages in it because I didn't know <laughs> there was a thing. And somebody's like, didn't That's you get funny. my SMS? I'm like, I don't know what you're talking. I thought, I thought they said SOS. So I thought they were in despair. And I'm like, what? And so my point is this, is that I understand with evolving technology, courtesies and um, what do you call it? Like uh, etiquette shifts. But I do think that, that because if somebody sends you a text message and it is genuinely not an first of all, it's an emergency, they'll call you. Yes. But that's entitlement to me. If you think everyone's going to answer every message you send right away, like there's many times I'll say, this is nonsense. I'm, I'm, I'm not nothing you need to answer. You know, I just want, just wanted to check in on this, but whenever you get a minute, there'll be other times I'm saying this actually is an urgent one. And so, because I think we could show some good hygiene in that spot saying like, this is not that important. I'm just getting this out there to you. Um, or say, this is actually an emergency and I'm going to call you as well. But this idea that people send you something that's not emergent, maybe they think it is, but then that feels like a bit of an entitlement as though you exist for them. Yeah. That was going to bring me my next question, which is, do you think there's a rise in entitlement and what is causing it? Uh, Collier, no one's ever asked a question that way and you asked it in such a smart way. I don't think there's a, because everyone's like, do you think there's a rise in narcissism? The research is all over the map on that, whether there is or not. I'll tell you this though, there is a rise in entitlement and there's a difference. Entitlement is, all narcissists are entitled, not all entitled people are narcissistic. I think entitlement's a lower bar. You can have entitled people who are actually decent, de like decent to some people in their lives. They are able to keep it together, but 
people can be entitled for a lot of reasons. They can be entitled because they were raised with money. They can be entitled because of their, their race and their power in the world. They can be entitled because they have education from a certain place or a certain kind of job. What, they can be entitled because they're rich, right? So all of those things can make think people entitled at different times in their life. I think we have seen a rise in entitlement, though, not just for those reasons, but I think this is where tech has come in. We have gotten so used to everything being so quick that you know, on an app, I can have dinner here in 20 minutes. On an app, I can get things. I don't have to deal with a human being. And so what that's done is it's taken away the graces that would often say, okay, I need to wait a minute, or it's not my, you know, it's not my, um, it's not my turn right now. Someone else is waiting longer, or I'm not the most important person here. We did used to have to make those allowances in our social worlds. We don't anymore. And the other mistake we're making is we're telling every damn kid how special they are. Here's the problem. So now what? Who gets to be at the head of the damn line if every single person is special? You do need to wait. Yes, you're all special and you have to wait in line. And what we're, what we're doing is we're not giving them the other half of that message. And so it's this sort of everyone is so important. Everyone is so special. Sure, philosophically we are and existentially we are, but there are still rules. And, and I think that, that that has gone through the roof. I think parenting has changed. I think social media has changed that. I think that um, te- the, the frictionless economy has changed that. And you throw all that in a blender and you add the existing sources of entitlement, we've got a real problem. The, the fact that people are beating up flight attendants on most flight, on, on almost most days, this is an entitlement problem. I mean, I'm thinking of myself i i've been flying for years and what i'm seeing now I'm like what that just wasn't a thing in the past and people were smoking and drinking and everything and they were not beating each other up or they go or they're like i went off this plane and they're going to try to open the cabin door like what, what are you out of your mind well there are no i and the thing is they're not out of their mind i think they're deeply entitled i think a lot of people are just becoming very used to getting their way there's a lot of oppositionality you're not going to tell me what to do there again there's so many cultural forces developmental forces parenting forces you name it even educational forces all of these things are conspiring but i do think that tech has become sort of you've been we don't have to be patient and cooperative in the way that we once were before. That's, that's simply where we've gone. And I think that that's amped up this entitlement. I love the fact that you brought up this entitlement with children and that this mother or the parents are giving everything to the children and telling everything like, oh, you're such a good, you know, you're a good star and you're going to do great and, you know, you're the best one and you're always going to win. You know, I think that they need to learn a balance of discipline and nurturing, if that makes sense. Well, I, you know what it is? There's, there's a, there's a woman named Diana Baumrind and she had once, you know, long time ago, she had a parenting model for parenting style and probably the best parenting style we know of is the authoritative parent. And the authoritative parent is not authoritarian. They are, they set boundaries. They're clear on expectations. They are a parent. They're mindful. They're available. They're connect. They're attuned to their child. Um, 
and they do let the child know like they they notice the child when something is done like they like oh my goodness like that's great how the, the fort you and your brother built or i you know i i think i love this picture you made they're attuned to something not like just you're great we're great but i mean i hate to say this is a it's it's a tough era to parent in the age of this you know i, I can say this as a parent when I raised my children when they were infants and even into early childhood, we didn't have these. So I have to tell you, when I was with my baby and feeding her, the only thing I could do is stare at her in the face because there's nothing you can do with one, both your arms holding your child when she's at your breast. There's nothing else you can do. When we were playing, there was no one who could reach me. If they wanted to reach me, they'd have to call on the house phone, right? And that's what not what people once did. There was no email to get to. So it created a very different kind of parenting experience that parents are being put through now where they feel that they constantly are on call or they're looking at their social media, yada, yada, yada. So I think that I don't even know that so much it's about discipline as it, it's about clear expectations. It's about clear boundaries, but it's that the parents are also doing emotional labor in the relationship, which is they're present. They're showing up. They're attuned. That requires the parent to get their head out of their phone and out of everything else and be there with their child that's getting harder to do in these economic times people are working two three jobs to make the rent you're not always able to do that parents are under a lot of stress too so this is definitely not a diss on parents it's that all of this has gotten a lot harder and we as human beings haven't caught up with that so it's like let's just tell all the kids they're great and then the kids are shocked the first time they realize a, not everyone can be great. So the first time they hit disappointment, they do often fall apart. And the other big thing that has to happen in childhood is regulation. You got to learn that you don't always get to be the kickball captain. You don't always get an A. You're not always going to get invited to the party and it hurts. And then there needs to be a securely attached adult in that child's space who says, and I'm here and I love you and I got you and we're going to walk through this together and show those tears and it's good. Like it's okay to cry and um and imagine if we did this with more boys than men and we still shame emotion in men and that's i think that's half the reason we're in the mess we are in this world right now and that's something that i've discovered you know through doing my podcast and then obviously on survivor squad and it was interesting to hear you just say about the the parent and a parent that has healthy boundaries that was one of the things that my mother did with me she had very strong boundaries uh with me as a child and you, you talk about that like recognizing after like, oh, I love this picture that you did. Oh, I love this. My mother told me I was special, but not everything that I did was special. Right. And that you were <laughs> and not that you were more special than anybody else. You're, you're all everyone parent thinks their child special. All children are special and should be protected and kept safe at all times. I think there's no greater call for a society to do is to protect the children in that society. There is nothing more important than that. And most cultures are doing kind of the opposite. And so the but that that can be done, but it requires a lot of parental attunement. And if the parents are for example, you're going through something, whatever it could be, even if they're going through a difficult relationship or have their own difficult backstories and they don't have a place to process that, it can sometimes be hard to do these things. I want to get into some questions that some people sent in, if you don't mind. Mm -hmm. So someone went, how do you deal with friends who are still in touch with the narcissist who turned on you? This is a tough one, right? Because I think that many people feel as though if somebody's betrayed you, it may have been a narcissist, it may have not. I think the tough thing is, remember, going back to what you were asking me before, are we overusing the word? Just because someone betrayed you 
doesn't mean they're a narcissist. It may mean they're a jerk. It may mean that they're an a-hole. It may mean you never want to see them again. You're going to need a lot more data to figure out if they're narcissistic, okay? So if somebody betrays you and they've done it many times, that definitely also puts it more likely that they're narcissistic people. Narcissists are serial offenders, right? They don't do something once. They keep doing it over and over and over again because it's their personality versus somebody who may have done you wrong once and they apologize and they try to make it right. I'm going to assume in the case of this question, the person betrayed this person. They may have repeatedly betrayed this person and people in this person's social network are still continuing to have a relationship with them. This goes to something I call the fine art of discernment when it comes to our relationships. You know, I think that it's so funny. We we are able to, um, you wouldn't, I would not open the front door to my house and let anyone walk in the door. And yet we do that with our psyches all the time. Hey, everybody come on in, pile in and just come into my life and breach my boundaries. But we aren't doing that with our house, right? So we're able to lock doors. We're not able to set those boundaries within ourselves. So it's not saying to this person they need to dump their friends. I think there's a conversation that can happen. And I think it has to be the right conversation, not the accusatory. Why are you still in touch with that person? The approach would be, I'm having a hard time with you remaining in contact with somebody who was such a source of betrayal, pain and distress for me. You're taking ownership of what the emotional experience is. Then the friends are going to say, it's not a big deal. If they, if they really do you wrong, it's not a big deal. They gaslight you. Why are you making such a big deal? Well, you know, what are you telling me? I can't have the friends I want. These first people have now showed their hand to you and say, okay, I've shared with you my discomfort. It doesn't feel good. Thanks though for sharing your point of view. And then you take that data and you sit with it and say, okay, this person did not hear my pain. In fact, might've minimized my pain. How deep you letting this person in? You know, I mean, it's at some point you've got to recognize that there is some form of radical acceptance. If you really go in there, communicate clearly, let folks know. And, and, and you know what they may also say? They could also say, I hear you. Thank you so much for sharing that. I am so sorry. I am really sorry. And, and, but they may not be able to disconnect from this person. They might have to say, listen, this is a tough one for me. My sister is dating his brother. This, I am not going to be able to fully cut this tie. That said, I am, thank you for sharing that with me. I am so sorry. Can we work together and talk about this? Is, can we figure out a path forward? Be, making it something collaborative. So a person's taking ownership. This is hard. I get this. They may also say they're not going to stop for whatever the reasons are. And they're offering something collaborative to work on. You may still say, you know what? I, I don't care who they're married to. I can't do this anymore. That's still a discernment point for you, right? I think we have to be realistic about what we, you know, what people can and can't do. So I think that it's a conversation and if those people are summarily dismiss you and say, don't be ridiculous or ghastly, then, then, then the writing's on the wall. This may not be a, this is one more unhealthy space in your life. It doesn't mean you dump them. It doesn't mean there has to be a big breakup, but I think slowly exiting stage left and maybe saying, okay, maybe I'll just see them at large get togethers and leave it at that and not sort of try to spend one-on-one -on -one time with them. That that's understandable. We can be discerning. We're careful about what we eat. We're careful about a lot of things in our lives. People spend more time at the grocery store trying to pick out a decent head of lettuce than they are about the people they let into their lives. Way too much time picking out lettuce. <laughs> as long as you spend the same amount of time picking out the people who are in your life, I'm fine with you taking the lettuce time. <laughs>
<laughs> I I am sometimes like a person where I'm terrible with boundaries sometimes. I've been working on it for years, you know, but I'm sometimes like, oh, hi, a friend. Oh, yes, let's be friends. <laughs> right. And I think that it's the it's the oh, I've met someone new. I'm interested in them. And then being I mean, I think that here's the thing. People who have been through huge interpersonal betrayals, the two of you are an example of that. I happen to be an example of that. We have to take things slow. We do. We don't get to go running with reckless abandon. And it's actually a bit of a superpower if you can take things slow. So I've met an interesting person. Let me sit with that. Let me spend more time with them. Let me get to know them a little bit more. And then I'm going to recheck in with myself. But the I think that for folks who have been betrayed, it can sometimes almost turn off our sensors. And either, interestingly, trauma survivors either over-trust or they under-trust. Sweet spot again. It's finding that mid-ground. And that can only be created by doing things at a more slow, moderated pace. Okay. Slow and steady wins the race. Right. It, it always does. And I think people have trouble with that when they're, when emotions are kind of getting churned up by something. So sometimes rushing and, and, you know, not paying attention to intuition, which can sometimes be taken away from survivors of betrayal and trauma is also another thing to keep in mind. Yeah. So what is love bombing? Mm. So love bombing is the early phase of a... Usually it's the early phase, but it's a phase of a narcissistic relationship that's characterized by idealization and seduction. During the love bombing phase, the narcissistic person is on their A game, meaning that they are charming, they are charismatic, they might feel very attentive and very attuned, they feel very connected, they're available to you. There might, there might be grandiose gestures. If it's a dating relationship, they may remember you to, to send you a different colored flower bouquet each day of the week or take you on these amazing like we had a 12 hour first date and on our third date we went to a big resort like it's big 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 but romantic relationships aren't the only place that love bombing can take place it can happen in a workplace a person you're like this is the coolest idea we gotta go all in la 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 ba 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 we're gonna make this happen i know this guy i know this person i know a person at that this that and we're gonna make this happen that's a form of love bombing it can happen in a family where you might think well how don't i already know these people mm, because it may be a family member who is trying to get you on board to do something like Oh my gosh, I feel so lucky that we are siblings. Like we got to spend more time together and yeah, you get and they want something, they need something. It can be a parent who's trying to win you over. Any of these things are love bombing. It's a period period of idealization and seduction where the narcissistic person, like I said, is on their A game. And so at that time, people A are saying this is a cool person. Like I'm really enjoying this, but then as problems come up, the person looks at the love bombing phase and says, maybe I'm reading this wrong because they were so cool and this was amazing and fantastic and had such great ideas or whatever it is, but it's that. And, and it doesn't always look the same. It's not always big gestures. Sometimes love bombing is things like... Um, you feel the need to rescue them. They tell you a really sad down on their luck story and, and all these terrible things. And you're a fixer and you're like, oh, how can I, I'm going to loan them my car. I'm, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to let them stay at my place. I'm going to introduce them to all these job contacts. You want to rescue them. You might loan them money. Um, you just may sit there and listen to their problems endlessly. The investment then gets created in this person where it's not necessarily idealization and seduction, but it can be quite seductive to feel needed and wanted and helpful. So it all depends on what kind of 
gets you that kind of creates that in you for some people it's big gestures for other people it's being helpful for other people it might be whoa this person has such a shared worldview with me like we have so many thoughts in common that uh, and and it, it almost it's all it could even almost be culty that you get drawn into their sort of worldview and like i and they're they're involved in this really cool cause and I, they're doing so much cool work like i want to be part of their cause that can be love bombing too okay that's interesting. So you talk a lot about, you know, so that's how they draw you in. On the flip side, what is it like when you try to, when you recognize that situation and you say, okay, now I need to leave. What do you recommend when someone wants to leave the narcissist? Because I've heard you say before, and I know this from personal experience, Tara does, that's the most dangerous point in the relationship. It is. So narcissistic people have a lot of abandonment issues believe it or not and it may not be the kind of like fragile abandonment issues of how am i going to make it alone but rather it may be the kind of abandonment issues where it's i i've lost my control like i was dumb controlling this person and now they've managed to slip away but whatever it is when you leave them it almost feels like theft to them and they they don't want that to happen and so when that happens it's let's use the romantic relationship example first but i think this applies to any of these situations you can really see what looks like post-separation abuse stalking harassment smear campaigns endless messaging um legal actions that they try to take against you but you know it's almost like you are not leaving uh, me nobody you're not doing that and so that can be terrifying when you yes. do decide to leave um it may it may not be full terror but it also might just be the the hurt that they're telling everyone that you might know mutually terrible things about you or doing reputational harm to you by sharing things about you with people in your industry or in your field or whatever it may be. Um, they, if, if it happens within a family, it could be family members hearing all this terrible stuff about you. So that's the sort of stuff you can often expect when these relationships end. Obviously, in the most dangerous cases, we can see downright violence when there's a point, point of separation. In what are the more moderate to mild cases, we tend to see more of the, could be petty grousing on social media. You know, it could be these smear campaigns. It could be things at that level but certainly stuff that could keep you up at night but yeah no hell hath no fury like a narcissist left i can tell you that right now that is what happened to me when my ex had cultivated letters to set and sent them to the most important people in my life mm -hmm. the detective mm -hmm. who helped me solve my mom's murder my high school english people who were extremely close and it was everything that she had ever known anything about me you know this person was only in my life with a, with a very brief period of time and then wow. it was also like every text message everything that she gathered on breaking into all my social media and accounts and putting it all in a folder on Dropbox and sending it out to everyone in the business. And I remember how devastated I was because I thought I'm, I'm personally and professionally ruined. And there was a time when I was like literally living out of my truck. This was mm -hmm. right before the pandemic uh, because I had no money because we had shared a bank account. She had all the money, you know, all that was kept, right? Mm. All of my stuff was at the house. I had voluntarily just left and then, she, of course, that's weaponized, right? And then there's legal action. She has money, so then she's going to take legal action and all these things. And I just remember being at what a very low point in my life, and I've been through many of them. And then I remember something clicked in me. I realized that everything that this person is doing is such an act of desperation because they are so insecure that other people will surely recognize it. 
and it didn't happen straight away because everybody came after mm -hmm. me and said, what's wrong with you? What's mm -hmm. wrong with you? And then mm -hmm. like a grand symphonic chorus, just kicking in all at once, they all just said, oh my God, she's good. Yeah. And everyone realized it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the light at the end of the tunnel. It is, but it doesn't happen for everyone, Collier. I mean, I think that the hard thing is that sometimes people don't get that light at the end of the tunnel. The mm. person doesn't get found out. And I think that's the grief that happens for many people. Sometimes the group, especially when it happens in families, they don't want to see it, right? They, you know, I, I, there's stories of people who are horribly abused by a narcissistic family member, a matriarch, patriarch, um, grandparent, whatever. And even after that person died and, and it was known what they did, nobody was willing to um, yeah. see it clearly. So I have to say not all systems are prepared to see these things clearly. And in fact, they will often shame the survivor by saying, don't speak ill of the dead. So there's never any peace in this. That's why sometimes people have to split from systems. Yeah. So I got lucky. Wow. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to say you got lucky because you no. suffered so much in the process. I think you yeah. got closure. I got closure. Yeah. And that's a rare thing. Yeah. Tara, we have to give um, Dr. Romney her um, 16 minutes that she definitely needs <laughs> soon. Oh, my 16. I was like, what? <laughs> right. Well, I mean, I can go about five more minutes, but then I can prepare for my, uh, my, my final yeah, absolutely. of the day. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So you have any more questions for me? Um, well, I have like millions, but <laughs> right. I think this is a great note to wrap up on. That way you get extra self-care today because we want to, you know, that. thank you. Let everyone have a great time in the next interview in the next time with you. So thank you so much for joining us. Where can we find you on social media? Do you have any workshops coming up? Yeah, absolutely. So a couple things I'd love for people to tune into Navigating Narcissism a podcast. If you go back to old episodes, folks, you get to hear Tara and Collier, so you can go find that episode. You can find me on YouTube. Just go to Dr. Romney, and there's, at this point, over a thousand videos on anything wow. you've ever wanted to know about narcissism. Um, I also do have a, a, a program that's designed for people who are healing from narcissistic abuse. What I do on YouTube is informative, but this program is much more focused on things that people can do in the face of you know trying to heal. And, and every month we have a different workshop, a different Q&A session. We have a community platform. We have journal prompts. So it's a very robust program program and to really if people in therapy can enhance what they're doing in therapy people can't quite get there to therapy and, and still working on that it's not meant to be a substitute but it can give them a lot of valuable information and you can find us on social media all social media at dr romani d-o-c-t-o-r-r-a-m-a-n-i you can find me there and we're always posting new stuff new insights all of that and all of this is on my website at drromani.com thank you so much you know dr romani i say every time we have a guest i say tara we are all a part of a squad that no one really wants to be a part of. Yeah. But we're all a part of the Survivor Squad. Dr. Romney, thank you so much for joining the program. Thank you. Wow. She's like an encyclopedia for narcissism, isn't she? Oh, yeah. And just like I can't even fathom like her knowing what she knows, all the narcissists she knows and learning how to deal with them. Yeah, and all the help that she's provided and, and you know her platform on youtube has been so has meant so much to so many people and she's got um, i think almost two million subscribers or something and it's all well deserved i am blown away by her and everything that she knows everything she teaches and also collier did you know that my mom was mentioned in her book do you know who i am talking about dirty john Meehan? wow no i did not know that that's right 
Mm-hmm. Thought I'd throw that tidbit out. Shout out to Deborah Ambrose Newell. Yes. There she is. <laughs> yes. So check out that book as well, guys. Fantastic. So we will have links to all of Dr. Romani's resources, her podcasts, her books in the show notes of today's episode. Until next time, survivors, I'm Tara Newell. And I'm Collier Landry. And this is the Survivor Squad Podcast. We'll see you guys. See ya. The Survivor Squad Podcast is made possible by support from listeners just like you. Please subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. And please consider supporting this program by visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash Survivor Squad.